the Niners Nation podcast, and it's another week, another week of the offseason, but the 49ers, they showed up to the stadium this week, and maybe there's some stuff happening there. With me, as always, is Leo Luna of 49ersGoldMine.com. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Actually, on Sunday, I played my first baseball game in five years. I didn't pull a hamstring, and I didn't strike out, so I'm feeling great. I feel like the Giants would call me up anytime soon, uh, but we'll see. I think that the team that'll call you up will probably be the Detroit Tigers because they're very bad. No offense. (laughs) We got a really special guest this week. I'm really excited. Eric Crocker of the Striking Gold Podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. And, you know, I I like that you guys brought up the Giants. They've been at the top of the major leagues as far as their record goes, and nobody's talking about it. Nobody. Nobody. And you would think as, 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 as much as we kind of plugged into the Bay Area and stuff and they keep talking about the Warriors and stuff like that, and they always talk about the 49ers. But nobody is talking about the Giants. Nobody's talking about the season that Buster Posey is having. But, you know, I mean, that's, a, that's for another conversation. But it's just, it's just crazy to me. But um, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. It's because we're not the Dodgers, by the way. That's the only reason why they're not talking about us, because they're in L.A. But, yeah, we're happy to have you on. I think that um, I wanted to have you on forever because I've wanted to talk about you. You were pretty big on Trey Lance in this whole entire draft process. I think me and Leo were pretty much just Justin Fields 24-7, like a lot of people on 49ers Twitter. But you were big on Trey Lance. And so real quick before we really get into it, like what were the reasons and the things that you saw from Trey Lance that – made you think that he was the guy that you'd want the 49ers to go get at three? I think a lot of it just had to be like, you know, just what we knew, you know what I'm saying? And I think as much as 49er fans probably don't understand this aspect of things, there were there were less to guess about with Trey Lance as far as, you know, his fit and, you know, kind of what he is, right? I mean, if you just kind of in general, like say like the things that you want in a quarterback, right? Like, you know, and what you're looking for and somebody like that can obviously like, you know, be accurate, which I think people make a big deal out of like, oh, he's so inaccurate and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, it's not bad. I mean, he's a 67% passer. He's somebody that wasn't throwing a lot of screens. He was asked to make more NFL type throws, not so much a lot of tight window throws, but still like, you know, turn his back to defenses and make throws that way and stuff like that. Go through his reads. He did all those type of things that you would like to see, you know, huddled up. Uh, you know, spit out long verbiage plays. Like, those are things you like to see. Get to line of scrimmage, play from underneath center, you know, call out his line protection and be responsible for all of those things. So, like, just a, a lot of things that you want from your quarterback. And, like, I, I felt like, you know, everything that I was hearing about North Dakota State, like, they put a lot on his plate. And then that, I didn't even get to the, you know, has the big arm, has the athleticism. And then it was really the things off of the field because – there are so many things that you can teach with guys, but then there's certain things that you can't teach. And, and I think that was the part where I'm like, I think this is going to be a Shanahan type of guy. Like, now I'm with you guys. I was a more of a Justin Fields guy, but I really like Trey Lance. And I actually went as far as to say, and this is before even the draft, that if I had to bet money on one quarterback in this class, that would be successful. And I didn't say bet money. I said my, my life savings. If I had to bet my life savings on one quarterback that would be successful, it was going to be Trey Lance. And it seems like something crazy to say, but it's not when you've kind of been around the NFL and and you've seen how people really are and and kind of how there are some people that really just don't care. There's a lot of people that just go because, well, I've been good at football my whole life and, all right, like, I'll play in the NFL. <laughs> there are some people that are like, well, I've been good 
a lot of his natural talent, you know, and I, when I get this money, I'm probably not going to be as good. Like there are those people. And then there's people like, you know, Trey, Trey Lance who don't take no for an answer and works mm-hmm. to go above and beyond whatever anybody thinks that they're capable of doing. And when you start to hear about his mindset and, and some of the things he was doing in preparation as a red shirt, as a, as a red shirt freshman and kind of watching and breaking down NFL defenses. And then as a, that was his freshman year while he was redshirting. And then as a redshirt freshman, I think everybody just assumes like, well, Trey Lance, he's this star at North Dakota State, you know, and like, okay, like he went undefeated. Like, well, of course he's at North Dakota State. It's like, no, they actually brought a quarterback into play, not him. They brought, they had a bounce back from uh, Iowa State come in who they really wanted to play. And Trey Lance just beat him out. Like that was how it happened. And then he went undefeated as a 19 year old kid and I think a lot of people are judging him based on what he was that year. It's like, dude, there's so much more that's going to come from like him and his capabilities and stuff. Like he's nowhere near what he's going to be. But what we did see was something that's definitely good that you can build off of. So I started to kind of factor in a lot of those things that the intangibles and things you can't teach. And that's when I was like, man, I think this is a Kyle Shanahan guy. And if, and if I'm the football thinking guy that I think I am, then Trey Lance has to be a pick. Now, it's hard to block out all the Mac Jones noise, but just using logic, like, I thought he he was the pick. So uh, we can obviously go a little bit deeper on it, but that, that's kind of – and I kind of touched on a lot of different areas, but that was kind of my level of thinking on why I thought he would end up being a pick and why I actually grew so fond of him. There, there's a couple of things in there that stood out to me when you talked about just natural talent, God-gifted talent, and then hard work. I realized that myself. I, I had that natural talent in high school. I, and then I came to junior college and I realized, you know what? I'll rather speak on a microphone than, than play with <laughs> these guys. And then yeah. um, the other thing was saying that there's some things you can't coach, some things you can't teach. And a lot of people like to throw accuracy in that category. I don't think that's necessarily true for Trey Lance. Something that I've said multiple times is, while watching his film, I notice his eyes tend to be ahead of his feet. And since that's the, his eyes are ahead of his feet, I've seen, you know, mistiming, little little inaccuracy with his balls. And I think if he could fix, you know, the fundamentals uh, of the quarterback position with his drops, and it, it just seemed a little more iffy at North Dakota State. Um, I don't know if this is something you can agree with, but if his eyes start matching his feet, that's where we can see this guy get a whole lot more accurate. I don't know if you feel the same. Well, I, I so, you know, a lot of what I try to do is uh, reach out to some people that just know more than me, right? So, you know, I've had, you know, coaches at every level, and I call some quarterback coaches that I know. Um, one of the guys which uh, trains Josh Allen, he's been working with Josh Allen since he was in high school, right? So I reach out to him. I reach out to a couple other guys. And – the one question I was reaching out to them to ask was, hey, like, and I'm talking about when I say the other guys, they, they, one played Division One college football and coached uh, and trained quarterbacks professionally, same with the other one, right? And the question I asked was, hey, what's easier to fix? Uh, you know, seeing the field and progressions or accuracy? And all three guys said accuracy was easier to fix than that, the other one. So, um, I think we do in, in my other guy, my guy with Josh, you know, the Josh Allen quarterback. And there's actually a video of this on my YouTube. I'll post it again um, for people that want to see and kind of like float it back out there. But he said there is a lot to, that goes into it. I think everybody just thinks like, oh, inaccurate. Right. But he's like, you know, 
there's so much from like, you know, kind of your arm, like the way you're gripping the ball, like there's all these different things. Some are easier to fix than others. If it is just something to where his like eyes and his feet, like, dude, you can, you can fix that. You know, um, if there's something mechanically wrong with like his throwing motion and that's causing inaccuracy, you know, the accuracy issues, then that could be something that's a little bit harder to fix, but that's not his issue. It's not his, it's not his throwing motion. As much as some people might want to say like, Oh, loopy or whatever. Like, nah, man, like, <laughs> but with, with him, it's, it's very, it's very fixable. The accuracy thing. I, I think a lot of, a lot too with him is just not playing a whole lot of football, right? Like not playing a lot of, you know, throwing a lot of passes. Um, you know, we're talking about somebody who played at the FCS level and just didn't throw the ball a whole lot. So I think there's that comfortability part of it where, you know, he, the more you do something, the more comfortable you are doing it. It's like me, you know, talking on a podcast. Like when I, I've always had the knowledge of being able to play football, but the first time I'm talking on the podcast, like, it's like, man, I don't, I'm just nervous. I'm tight. I'm tense. The more you do it, it's like, well, I start to loosen up. My personality starts showing through. It's the same thing with, you know, anything like in football, whether it's playing cornerback or playing quarterback. Like the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And I think that was one thing that we saw too with Trey Lance where I think there was just a, a certain element of comfortability throwing the football that he has to get used to. And he just didn't get enough reps to get that out. And even then, what we did see was a lot of good, right? A lot of high level that made it to where he was a third overall pick. But I think when you hear people say he has the highest ceiling, and I'm not going to say he has the highest ceiling in this class, but when you hear people say that, I think it's like, man, if this is where he was at a 19-year-old kid and didn't throw the ball a whole lot, where can he be as a 24-year-old young man? And what does it look like in between? I think in between there's a lot to still work with and be able to win with, but the trajectory of where he's going with the mindset that he has, I think that's where you think, like, okay, sky's the limit. Yeah, I think that it's crazy too. You know, you watch him just talk this weekend. And not only does he have this super high ceiling, all this talent in the world, but he's super mature for being a kid who just turned 21. Like it was kind of crazy the way he responds to the answers and the way that he kind of conducts himself. I don't know if you noticed this. Like the way he conducts himself, it just, I, I haven't seen a Niner quarterback conduct himself like that since probably Colin Kaepernick and maybe not even that. Right. Well, if, if you guys heard um, Daniel Jeremiah on the Rich Eisen show, and it was one thing that really jumped out to me when he starts to talk about Trey Lance. And, you know, he was saying, like, you know, he, he likes to sit down with guys and talk to guys, you know, before the draft. Some This year and last year, it's just been a little bit harder with, you know, the whole COVID, you know, stuff going on and whatnot. But he sat down with Trey Lance for about an hour and a half, and he just walked away just blown away by the young man that he was saying he was wise beyond his, beyond his, you know, his years of, you know, 20 years old at that time um, said that he has something special that guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen had who were not finished products coming out with no, nobody's technically a finished product, but in the sense of just like, Oh man, like, you know, there's probably, you know, a lot of unknown with what this guy is going to be, but the tools are there. But he said the thing that, he would bank on and that I would bank on as well is the person that he is. And I think that's, a, that's something that just really gets overlooked. We're not talking about somebody that doesn't possess the talent, but just has a great work ethic, right? Like a uh, Nick Mullins. Like we're not talking about that, right? Nick Mullins, it don't matter how hard Nick Mullins works. He's still just going to be limited. Right. But when you look at a guy like Trey Lance, who has all the physical capabilities that you want, 
And then he has that mindset to go with it. That's when that's when you're you're, you're special. And to have that at 20 year, 20 years old, that's different. So I think um, you know those are the things that you're talking about when you hear him talking and like maybe some of the words that are coming out of his mouth. It's just like he's just kind of prepared for this moment. I don't want to get in the whole Jimmy Garoppolo or or Trey Lance. Who should start? I, it's it's May. I don't want to get into that. I just want your uh, opinion on can a rookie Trey Lance win in this league? One hundred percent. Now I think the the thing that everybody wants to kind of throw around a lot is. Well, no rookie has ever won a Super Bowl or, you know, right. whatever. And my thing is just like, I I get it. Obviously, the Super Bowl is the goal. But there's two ways to look at that. One, 49ers haven't won a Super Bowl since 1994. So it's like, <laughs> the, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, I get it that that's what we want. But it's like, that can't be the only reason why you don't start this rookie quarterback. Because you think he probably won't win the Super Bowl or the odds are against him. It's like, well, the odds are against you no matter who you have at quarterback. Like, you haven't won the Super Bowl since 1994. So there's the first part. Um, but, you know, I think just in general, as far as, like, being able to win in the NFL, like, yeah, because he has a skill set that, you know, it doesn't have to be all on his shoulders, right? Like, he has the ability mm-hmm. to win in multiple ways. Even if you take away his ability to throw or maybe he's not exactly where you want him to be at this very moment is that, well, there's still this other added element of him making the run game more explosive and making the run game more difficult. And you end up, okay, even if, and I think he's a better pure passer than Lamar Jackson, but even if it's some type of offense where maybe like a Lamar Jackson, you have to kind of lean a little bit more on your run game. Like, well, Lamar Jackson has shown you can still win that way. And again, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that he's like Lamar Jackson as a runner. I'm just saying in the sense of how their offense is viewed, at, you know, in the sense of like, you know, it's a run-heavy offense where they're still going 14-2 and two or whatever they're going, right? Yeah. So I think definitely like, you know, if Trey Lance were to be the starter, there's an offense that Kyle Shanahan can put around him to where he could be successful. What that offense looks like, I, I don't know, right? Like maybe – Maybe it looks like the same as what is you know he's been doing. RG three maybe his rookie year, or you know maybe it looks like RG three. But whatever he does with it, it's going to be something that's going to benefit you know young Trey Lance, and he's going to do whatever you know works to his capability and utilize his talent to the best of his ability. And the 49ers have a terrific roster around him. Regardless, I would say the 49ers in their Super Bowl run, Jimmy Garoppolo was not the reason. Now I'm not saying he wasn't a big part of it, right? When you're the quarterback and you're playing well enough and making throws enough to win games, like, great. But there were a lot of games where Jimmy didn't play great. And then there were some games where he did. And I would say in the games that Jimmy Garoppolo did play extremely well, maybe Trey Lance has as many games where he plays extremely well, but they just look different. So that's what I would kind of say about, you know, somebody, you know, as far as Trey Lance being able to win as a as a rookie. Yeah, I mean – this is going to be the debate all off season. Like it's, it's like never going to stop. We're never going to stop talking about it. Like Trey's obviously going to be the future of this team, but the curious question is when it just feels like every day, there's something we hear from someone that sounds like maybe it's sooner, you know, whether it was this weekend, people saying like, he knows most of the playbook already. He's already, he's so smart. You know, he's the smartest quarterback that's ever been in the Niners room. Like whatever it is, I think that this conversation is not going to move forward until we get to, you know, August or whatever. But the question, there's some other questions I have for you. Real quick, though, I want you to 
uh, let us know what your YouTube channel is so people can check it out too. And we'll mention it again at the end of the show. I forgot to talk about it at the beginning. Oh, Crop Talk TV um, is something I started up. I'm actually like opening up a, a, a big gym out here. Like we're actually building it from the ground up and talking to my the, the head of the business department at the school. Um, when we're going over all my projections and everything. She was like, well, if you pay yourself out of the gym, you're, you're going to be in a negative, like according to your projections. So you have to figure out something else. So I'm like, all right. Like, well, I got my podcasting thing going. Like, I'm doing well with that. Like, you know, I make some money off that. Like, well, let me start building the other things. So I build my Patreon account, start building that up. And I've gotten that up to where I'm, I'm making some decent money off of that. And then, you know, YouTube was the next step. And I mean, I started, what, a month ago, maybe? And I'm already up over like 3,500 subscribers. And every day, it seems like it's just growing and like getting bigger every day. So uh, YouTube, Croc Talk TV, make sure you guys, make sure you guys subscribe. I talk about 49 and stuff, and that's like a bulk of my subscribers. I'm trying to get it to where it's more like wide receiver, defensive back based. But yeah. um, I, I still, I understand just looking at my numbers on my videos. Like, you know, if I talk about, you know, I talked about uh, uh, Ambry Thomas. Horn. That's what we're about to talk about. Okay. Well, I talked about <laughs> J.C. Horn, and it was like, <laughs> you know, 800 views. But then I talk about like Trey Lance, and it's like six, seven thousand views. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like I could see where my fame, my fan base is as far as subscribers. But yeah, go ahead and subscribe. I definitely bring some 49 content to it for sure. And I just want to make sure people check it out because I think that it's you know it's so awesome. What you, that video you have with Trey Lance, I think, was a pretty eye opening thing for a lot of people on Twitter because it's like. You know, yeah, there are a few people talking about Trey Lance, but you talked about him and the way you talked about him so highly in that video. And, you know, you said, I think uh, you mentioned, go for it. So before the draft, well before the draft, probably a few weeks before the draft, I said that Trey Lance was the most pro-ready quarterback in his class. And I, when you just tweet something like that, it sounds crazy. But <laughs> I figure if I put out a video I can really kind of go a little bit more in depth and explain like what I mean by that. And what I meant was, you know, obviously like, are there areas where he's green? Like, sure. But, you know, I just look at it like, man, there's areas where all these quarterbacks need to improve, you know? Um, you know, I don't think there's any perfect pro prospect. So looking at him and some of the things that make it difficult for a quarterback transitioning to the NFL, he's been doing those things. Like, that's the part that people don't understand. Like, the part that makes this transition tough is all of a sudden you have to play more under center, right? Like, all of a sudden you have to, like, call out line protections. Like, all of a sudden you have to, you know, re, you know, be able to call a play in a huddle. Like, these type of things, like, where he's been doing it, like, and he did it at a high level. And, you know, I think a lot of people, well, he played FCS. And it's like, dude, he dominated his level of competition, and it's not like he – played FCS and everybody around him is D1 players. Like, no, nah, like, well, I'm playing with FCS players as well. And when I say D1, I mean one, you know, FBS. Yeah, no, I get it. FCS yeah. is, is D1 as well. But it's like, dude, like, I, I'm, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm playing in the FCS, but I'm playing against guys and with guys that are all FCS. So, like, the, the playing field is level in a sense. I feel like if you took Trey Lance and put him on Alabama, like, he do the same stuff he did at <laughs> North Dakota State. Like, you know, it's not it's not like all of a sudden somebody that's 6'4", 225 pounds is going to be slower or not as good. Like, he's still going to be big. He's still going to be fast. Like, he's still a 4'6". Like, those things – or 4'5". Like, those things aren't going to change just because he goes to a different team. So, you know, I look at, like, the way that he was able to kind of execute and the things that they asked of him prepared him for the NFL more so than 
you know, even guys like who I love, like I love Justin Fields and what he could bring. But Justin Fields was not more prepared to play in the NFL than Trey Lance with what they were asked to do in college. Like you would have, there's a lot of projection with Trey Lance. I mean, with Justin Fields, as far as having to do more with going through reads and, and calling line protections, like Justin Fields would get to line of scrimmage and he'd be like, do a little fake clap and then look to the sideline, look to the mm-hmm. sideline and like, oh, okay, we're going to run that. Like, all right guys, you guys see what they said we're going to run. Like with <laughs> Trey Lance, everything was on him. Like the, you know, the multiple plays mm-hmm. at the line of scrimmage, killing the one play, going to the next, calling out line protections, calling out who's coming, like the mic and all those things. Like he consistently had to do those on a play-to-play basis, like, you know, getting them in the right plays and stuff like that. So um, playing under center, taking snaps, things that's some like kind of more difficult for certain guys getting to the NFL. Like all the things that are like a part of the learning curve, he, he knows those things. Like he's done those things and he's comfortable doing it. With him, it's just, well, I just need to throw the ball more. But I still felt like he was the most pro-ready quarterback. And I, I said that well before the 49ers drafted him. Perfect, perfect. So now that we got our 20 minutes of Trey Lance and now I'm excited. Like Nate's literally been hitting me with Trey Lance nonstop. And uh, now he's definitely going to hit me some with some more of that. Ambry Thomas was talking <laughs> about the first corner of the 49ers selected. I'm getting that uh, dinner. I, no, you're not. It, it's a side bet. I, him and I bet a dinner. I bet Garoppolo starts week one and he bet Trey Lance starts week one. So we'll see, you know, at the end of the I, day. I'll say this. I'll say this, and I know we're we're getting off of the quarterbacks, but where where things can get a little interesting is Jimmy Garoppolo is not known to be a good practice player. Correct. And I've heard other people say it, but like I, I've seen it in, in person, like when you know I have my media credentials and everything, and it doesn't look smooth. Like it just looks kind of like choppy a little bit, just like Correct. a lot of like. A lot of the games, like with Jimmy Garoppolo, like now there's some games Jimmy Garoppolo comes out and he looks really sharp. But I would say more times than not at practice, it just wasn't smooth. So, like, if there's any chance – now maybe he comes and he has, a like, an out-of-body experience and plays extremely well in practice and in the games and all that type of stuff. And, I, and again, I like Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, I'm not saying, like, he can't play well. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying – the tough thing is going to be everybody's going to be there at practice. They're going to be watching this young rookie. They're going to be watching Garoppolo. And then Garoppolo practices how he's known to practice, where we've seen him throw five interceptions in a row yep. at practice, right? Like five straight passes, five straight picks, and do things like that. And you have this rookie behind you who has is more efficient, and he just looks better in practice. There is a scenario where Lance sneaks in there and ends up starting week one. Now – I don't foresee that happening. If I had to put money on it, I would say Garoppolo right. will be the starter week one, but I'm definitely not ruling out because I know how Garoppolo kind of gets sometimes at practice. And if Lance, who people are going to be excited to see, and it's like, damn, coach, he looks better than Jimmy. <laughs> and you just start having those, you start hearing those rumblings right. and you start seeing Mayoko talk about it. And it's just like, and you just start, and then maybe Jimmy starts pressing a little bit. Yeah, there, there, there yeah. is a scenario where Lance starts, like, and it would not be far fetched, in my opinion. See, like Nate has his hopes at one thousand percent. With myself, I'm just taking the. I ain't gonna get my hopes up. Uh, I'm just gonna see yeah. what happens. It's barely May, so if I had to put my my stock on it at this time of the month, I'm gonna be like, all right, well, Jimmy Garoppolo's gonna start week one. Uh, I, 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 I agree. I agree. So Embry <laughs> Thomas, corner out of Michigan. Six foot, I think 
uh, during his pro day, he said he's at 190 and he feels comfortable playing 190. I understand like when he was at Michigan, he was playing closer to 175 or so. Do you think there's a there will be a difference in his game? Because he still ran a 4-4. Could that create more of a physicality in his game? Uh, he seems to have great uh, like anticipation when he's playing zone coverage and he could kind of get in your face and play man as well. What do you think? What can you see his potential as? Do you have any type of comp for him? Uh, like, where do you see his career potentially, you know, starting out? So I, I didn't – I don't have a comp because I, I didn't watch him, like, through those lenses of, like, right. what, what, who would I comp him to? I, and I, so I just never thought about it. And I don't want to just randomly throw a name out there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but as far as kind of, like, you know, just watching him, I think off top he definitely is somebody that looks really comfortable at the line of scrimmage. Now, can he play off coverage? Like, can he be, like, an off-zone guy? I just – I don't know the answer to that. Um, mm-hmm. In the games that I watched, I watched multiple games, and it was just, like, 98% of his snaps were at the line of scrimmage. And, like, they were playing a lot of man. Now, the one thing I did think was unique and cool, and I love to see it, is the fact that he would play zone from the line of scrimmage, even, like, a cover four, where he's still reading, like, two to one. And – I think he did a good job of being able to read his keys and fall off of it. I put together a video on my YouTube kind of highlighting that where, um, you know, I thought he did a really good job of using his uh, pressure key, visual key. And and what that means is just pressure key is like the key that I can touch. And visual key is the key I can see. So if a guy is right in front of me, I can touch him and squeeze that, but still keep my eye on the visual key that could be coming into my area. If the visual key goes away from you, then all your attention can go to the pressure key, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if if the if the if the if I'm touching the pressure key and the visual key comes to me, then now I can peel off. I really like that style of defense more so than spot dropping, which the 49ers have done a lot of spot. I hate spot dropping. <laughs> um, I like pressure key, visual key more because it allows you to kind of shrink, like throwing windows, passing windows. So when I saw him doing those things and doing them from press and I can I noticed like there was a couple of times where it looked like he kind of got shook, but I but it was like okay, kind of got beat a little bit, but okay, he's outside leverage and he's kind of falling off into his zone. And I'm like okay, he's running more zone than I think most people would probably give him credit for, but he's just doing it more from a press alignment. And like with press coverage, like I think everybody looks at it like oh press jamming man like use your hands, but press is just an alignment. Like that's just where you line up at the, at the time. So you're you're technique that you could use it could it, it could vary you could do you know a press where you jam which is a technique um you can do uh like feather or inching where you kind of inch out a little bit or you can do like press bail or you can play zone from there so um it looked like he utilized a, a lot of those things but you know overall i think just with his game in general i thought he had extremely patient feet um at the line of scrimmage i thought he did a really good job of getting hands on um in the Notre Dame game i think i saw him give up what two catches both were like 15 to 20 yard passes, but the coverage was extremely tight where he was there contesting the pass against Chase Claypool both times. And both times Claypool had to make like a great catch, not just like a regular, like good catch. So um, he is somebody that definitely work makes defenders have to work um, to beat him. I- I'm interested to see like how the 49ers u- utilize him. And I have a guy that was at, the mini camp, so I'll be asking him questions about all that, but like just kind of how they ask their guys to play. I'm I'm anxious to see and hear. Did they ask or tell guys to play more off coverage, or did they allow Thomas to play 
zone, even from the line of scrimmage, even if that's something that we haven't seen a whole lot from the 49ers. So like his skill set, um, you know, ran in the four threes. So clearly he's more than fast enough, even if he's more of a true like four, four, five. Don't think he yeah. had any issues running vertical with guys. Thought the physicality aspect of there was there. Um, the good zone eyes. Um, maybe not the most agile, fleet-footed guy, but definitely good enough to where I, I think you know he he'll be fine in the NFL. And and I talked to Matt Nagy. Um, I didn't talk. Matt Nagy responded to one of my tweets about him and said that if he would have came back this year, they would have had him at like. Um, top 50 on their board and stuff like that. So I think he's a, a corner that was highly thought of um, throughout the league, but, you know, he opted out. So I think, you know. Yeah, it's um w- with without seeing much of him or even, you know, getting much of a of a camp version of Ambry Thomas as as it sits right now in May, mid-May. Do you see him like being the cornerback number three, say on the outside behind Emmanuel Mosley, Jason Brett? Is that something that the team could feel comfortable with? I think that's what the team wants, right? I like, okay. And I think ideally they want him to be able to compete for an outside starting job. You know, I look at Emmanuel Mosley and I, I don't think that his job is locked up at all. You know, we're talking about a guy who was really up and down last year. Um, I mean, there were multiple games where he gave up like a ton of catches. Obviously, mm-hmm. like the most notable it was against Arizona week one where he gave up like 14 catches. And I get it. It's DeAndre Hopkins, but ideally you would like to see him challenge even the Hopkins more. Like, you just want to see, are you challenging guys? So he had a couple of games where I'm just like, uh. Then he had some other games where I'm like, mm, not great, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. But then he also had a game where it's like, okay, Mosley, like, good job. Then he, you know, he dealt with some injuries. Um, and then when he was back from, like, the concussion, you know, it, it would be one thing if he was active and they were just like, oh, we don't really have to play him. Because, you know, he, you know, and we'll, we'll just use him as as an emergency guy, right? Mm-hmm. But they started Akella Witherspoon, and then even in the nickel, they started Dante Johnson. And I was like, hmm, okay, interesting. And I'm like, well, maybe they just want to use him in an emergency situation. But then I see him running down on special teams. So I'm like, uh, they just chose not to <laughs> play him. And, yeah. and then when you look at the money that they gave him, where it was like, you know, they were going to uh, pick up his uh, or get him, bring him back as a restricted free agent. And then they end up signing him to like a two-year contract, but really, I bet it's really more like a one-year, yep. four million dollar contract, four point five million dollar contract, something like that, which isn't crazy. That's not like serious starting money. That's something to where like, okay, we believe you can start, but if we draft this rookie third round and he pushes you for that starting job and he ends up playing over you, it is what it is, and we like you in more of a reserve role. So, um, you know, that's a long-winded way of saying. I can see Embry Thomas competing for a starting job. Whether he wins it or not, you know, that that's the part, you know, I, I just don't know. That's going to be on him with how quickly he picks up everything. Seems smart. I thought he was, like, you know, a good, like, coach on the field at Michigan, getting guys lined up and whatnot. But um, you still, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about guys who aren't going to give up their jobs easily. We're talking about, you know, money that has to be made and the way that guys, uh, you know, they um, – you know, they take care of their families. So, um, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say Mosley ain't going to give up that spot easily, but Amber Thomas is definitely going to compete for it. So let's talk about, you know, the, the, the other pick, the other defensive back pick, which was, De, De, I'm going to say this wrong, Diamandre Lenore. 
Uh, I think I got. I was close. I'm pretty close. I was. Uh, that, I, that was as close as I think I've gotten tonight on it. Um, but like, so there's that highlight reel catch going around where I mean, it's a one on one rep between him and Austin Watkins, and he just makes a great play. And then you know, yeah. people were like, "Oh, this is on Trey." I was like, "You're crazy if you think it's on Trey," but that's besides the point. So you know, when you watch Diamandre Lamore, I said it wrong again, Lenore. Um, like, what do you see? And then like, I think a lot of people, like some, some, you know, Oregon fans were actually saying like, Hey, this guy's like really good, you know? And a lot of people were saying from the mini camp that like he was locking people up pretty well. And so maybe he's just like a diamond in the rough that kind of went under the radar. Like what kind of stuff do you see when you watch him? You know, I thought like when you look at his like 2019 film, if you were just to go off of that, it was like, all right, it's not pretty. Right, like just like the inconsistencies, like you see him go up against NFL caliber guys, like getting turned around by Brandon Ayuk. And I get it, Brandon Ayuk, like, I mean, we're talking about somebody that was a first-round pick, but at the end of the day, you're in the NFL, like you're going to be playing against a lot of high-level guys. If you're in the NFC West, we're talking about, choose, just the, the, the Cardinals alone have Hopkins, you know, Christian Kirk, who's good, A.J. Green, and now Rondell Moore. You look at Seahawks, I mean, come on, you know, D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Um, they got uh, shoot the, the kid, kid from uh, was it Eskridge? Uh, yeah, Western Eskridge. Michigan. Eskridge. Yeah, Eskridge. I mean, Dwayne Eskridge, like four three, mm-hmm. like everywhere. And then the, the the Rams, like great office coordinator, where they're gonna put you in binds, and you have you know Cooper Cup and and Robert Woods, and like and then well, who they get two two Outwell. Like I mean, it's like everywhere you go in the NFC West, like you're gonna be super challenged. So you know, I look at you know uh, Diamador Lamore's. You know, 2019, I'm like, ooh, like that. He wasn't ready. But I thought two, 2020, from the games I saw, looked a lot better. Um, I thought one thing that he kind of like, that showed up over and over on my like, man, like, gives up too much space at the line of scrimmage. Like, he's motoring out too much, like, backing out, like, to where he's giving guys free access to be able to kind of stack them and beat them vertically. And then, you know, the first clip you see come out of Ricky Mini. And he doesn't create that space at the line of scrimmage for the receiver. And, he's, and he makes the receiver work laterally. And he uses his hands and he flips his hips and he has good feet. And then he makes a terrific play, like being able to, you know, catch the interception. I'm like, wow, like that was good. Like everything I saw there, like that's what I want to see in the quarterback. Now you got to stack those plays, right? You got to continue to make plays like that. And maybe not to that extent, but just in the sense of stacking good plays. Uh, you know, that, that's what you want to do, especially when you're a guy that, you know, is a day three uh, draft pick. But I thought overall, um, I was intrigued by a lot of his film. Um, obviously intrigued by the interception just because of what it looked like in the sense of how he did it and what his movement skills, like said. And then I'm intrigued by the fact that they talked about, you know, possibly, you know, working with him inside as well as outside. So um, all, all, all good things that point in, in the right direction for Mr. Lenore. When he locked up Austin Watkins Jr. on that is – I met Austin Watkins Jr. at the Senior Bowl. The kid is no joke. He's got really good size, and I didn't see anyone get close to doing what Lenore did to Austin Watkins Jr. Um, so I, I think that's very impressive, considering Watkins Jr. is also a bigger receiver, and I think Lenore fits more of a a backup nickel corner to at least you know potentially start the year. I, I think that's where they would like him to be, is to back up Kwan Williams and based on where K1 has been the past couple of years, we may be able to see Lenore this season. We, I don't think that's too far-fetched. I don't think so either. And I mean, I, I, I go as, the, as far as to say, I'm pretty sure they'd love to have him back and got him back for the cheap. But 
you know, I think some of these moves were like long-term plays. And when you look at them, you know, because especially with the nickel position, like typically you're not drafting nickels high. Like if you're drafting a corner and you're, and you're like, oh, he's going to be a nickel for us. Like you wait and draft him where they did draft Lenore. So to see them do that and, and to know that they have Kawan Williams, I can definitely see a scenario where they start trying to, you know, just get him reps here and there, see where he's at, kind of build on that. I think regardless, you're going to start Kawan Williams. I think he's that, you know, oh, that yeah. good. And you were able to get him back on the cheap. But it's a one-year deal. So let's see if we can kind of get our guy worked in there when we can. Obviously, like, you don't want to do anything to where it's like, well, I'm trying to get him in there and I end up losing the game. <laughs> yeah. But to just kind of get those reps is just see what it looks mm-hmm. like. Obviously, preseason would be really big for all these guys. Yep. I think what's on three preseason games this year, right? Like, that's going to be so huge. What's going to be the dress rehearsal this year? Like, th- those are the things that I want to see. But um, I think as far as Lenore goes, him, I-, I wouldn't say, like, oh, he's just going to be a starter this year. But I definitely think, you know, he's somebody that has talent to be able to potentially make a push. Now, whether he will or not, I mean, I- I'm not going to go out and be like, oh, oh CB1, yeah. like, he's going to be the best corner <laughs> on the team because of one play in, in training camp or in rookie minicamp. But – I liked what I I liked what I saw. I mean, I did a full breakdown on him on my mm-hmm. uh, Patreon account, but well before the draft, well before the draft. So I had already kind of had my notes on him and what I thought of him from that time. And then finally, like the main, you know, the final defensive, you know, uh, back type guy they what was um, Telenoa Hufuanga, and he's a safety. So I don't know, I, I don't know how much you study safeties versus how much you study defensive backs, but I mean, like. It seems like he's probably going to be a special teams guy, but it was like, is there anything you saw with this guy that, you know, could lead you to think that maybe he could start, you know, if say Jimmy Ward didn't come back or they didn't get to Wasi Tart back next year or, you know, something along those lines happen. Is this a guy that they see long-term or is this just a guy they brought in to have more dudes on special teams? So, so we just did like, I'd say a couple of hours ago, I did a live, you know, stream on him a few hours ago what, uh, where, you know, it was just all on him, just watching him. I think my major takeaway is the lack of athleticism that people are kind of a little bit nervous about is a real thing. And when you're looking at guys like Ward, Tart, like you don't have those type of limitations. And even with Tart, who is like a legit four or five guy at the combine, like like Tart can move. He's very athletic. He's very versatile. You can play Tart down low, you can play him in the box, you can play him like in the slot row, you can man him up on tight ends, you can play him single high, like you can play Tart wherever you want to, uh, but also, Tart's a big dude, right, I mean, you know, like, he's a big dude, where Hufunga, who's some, he's somebody who measured in at 6'1", 200 pounds, um, I think he maybe lost that weight to run faster, and even then he ran 4'6", and we're talking about 4'6", hand time, not even combine time, so, I mean, is he more of a Four six eight type guy, and did he get to a four six eight after dropping all that weight? If he gets back up to more of his playing weight uh, around two fifteen, is he now is he more of a four seven five, four seven seven type guy? If those are are the things, then it, it's a little bit worrisome. When we were watching his film, there were just a lot of plays where you're like, ah, oh, just a step slow, ah, oh, just a step slow, ah, oh, just a step slow here, and you saw like it just kind of making him like miss tackles because he's just a step off from everything. Um, he's somebody that's probably going to have to play with a ton of anticipation, but it's hard to compare him to that of, 
you know, a Jimmy Ward, a Jaquiski Tart because he's not in their ballpark of that type of caliber of athlete. I think we're just so used to seeing these guys, right? Tart, we're so used to seeing Ward that we kind of forget the type of prospects that those guys were coming out. Jimmy Ward was a first round pick, you know, and has the versatility to be able to play all over the defense. Jaquiski Tart was a second round pick out of goddamn Samford. Samford. Yep. <laughs> Samford. Like where, where, like what? Where, where is Stanford? Like I don't even know where that's at. I don't either. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah. I mean, I say that to say, like, he, where he's somebody that came from a smaller school and still went second round. If Tart was a, a guy that was at like USC, like Funky, like he would have been a first round pick. Like you know what I'm saying with his caliber of play. So, I say, I say all that to say, I wouldn't like if I had to put money on it, I wouldn't put money that he would be that type of guy. I think you would want to bank that. We can get special teams value out of him, and I think he's going to, like, you know, put a lot of effort in there. But the one thing that worried me there is a lot of the guys that are really good on special teams, they're freaky athletes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, who yeah. who had been the best special teams guy? I, I don't know, Raheem Mostert, right? Yeah. Like, who's the fastest player in the NFL? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and a lot of other guys that you see make a lot of plays, guys like, you know, what's his name? CJ Goodwin, 49ers had him. Like, he was a 4-3 guy, yeah. like. There are guys that are like, like have like big time athleticism. And, who, you know, even I remember when I was with the New York Jets and guys, you guys probably have never heard of, but like, I remember linebackers that were like six, five, you know, 250 pounds beating me in sprints and beating me in drill. Like those are the guys that are on special teams. Mm-hmm. And Hufung is just not that. He's kind of an undersized and not as athletic as everybody else. Now, again, I, I'll never say what, a guy, you know, is or isn't like, I'll, I'll never be that guy to be like, Oh, he won't be this or he won't be that. I'll just say what it looks like is he lacks ideal athleticism. We'll see how he works to overcome those things. And if he can, then he can end up being a terrific football player in the NFL. But, you know, I wouldn't quite bank on it. So I, I know Shanahan has mentioned it himself a little bit. Do you think his more of his calling card is going to be that Sam linebacker role compared to trying to play a safety where, you know, they like to, you know, swap out who's playing the high safety between the strong and the free? Uh, do you think that'll be more his more ideal fit? Shanahan said that they're definitely going to try him out at both safety and linebacker. Ideally, it's going to have to be something like that, but he's going to have to put that way back on. So you got to hope, one, that he can get back up to 215. Um, that I want to say was playing with at USC or around there. Cause he looked much bigger. Like, dude, I was like what he weighed in at, like that's the size I was at, like in the NFL. And I don't look like what he looked like on film. <laughs> like I, I wasn't that big of a guy that looked like on film. Like I was this long lean guy, but you know, at six one, you know, one ninety five to two hundred pounds, like he's six one, two hundred pounds, like bro, it's not even making sense. So one, Real. if his playing weight was more around two fifteen, can he get back up to that and not really lose athleticism. Because again, he didn't test extremely well. And again, not terrible, but he didn't test extremely well pro day um, at 200. So if he gets back up to 215, is his athleticism going to drop off a little bit? Is that maybe what I was seeing on film, everything being a step late? If so, I'm interested to see how you use them because you got to look at linebackers even now in the NFL, like, a lot of them are freaky athletes. And if they're not like, you know, running four fours and stuff like that, or even in the four fives, 
you know, maybe they look like Fred Warner, who's, I don't know, 6'4", 235 pounds, 6'4", right. 240 pounds, like, you know, who's just a freak, right? Like, as far as size go and his ability. And Hufunga is not that. He's much more undersized. So we'll see how they have to use him. There is a, I mean, Dre Greenlaw is not the biggest guy. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's some type of, you know, Dre Greenlaw type transition in his future. We'll see. But um, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see, like, where exactly he fits in and, and how to utilize him. Well, Eric, thanks for joining us, man. If you want to, uh, real quick, just let everybody know all the stuff you do once again so they can check you out. I definitely want them to check your stuff out because I think it's just awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, at Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. Um, you know, got my YouTube page, Croc Talk TV. So make sure you guys, you know, subscribe to that. It's growing and it's growing pretty pretty rapidly as well. So um, Croc Talk TV. And then my Patreon account, uh, account patreon.com slash Croc Talk, where a lot of these guys that we're talking about, I have breakdowns and stuff like that. And I'm starting to do more of that on YouTube as well. But I have, um, like, some really cool breakdowns Lucia. with, like, you know, yeah, exclusive content on the Patreon account. So, again, that's patreon.com slash crock talk. Yeah, go check it out. Get some knowledge. Make yourself a better football fan. I feel like that's the one thing that we can do. A lot of people need, on Twitter maybe need to do is make themselves a little bit better football fans. Learn more. Understand yeah. more. Don't just tweet. Um, you can check me out at Niner Nate 49 And, Leo, how can they check your stuff out again? So, yeah, just same thing. Leo Luna 93 on Twitter as well as 49ers Goldmine on YouTube. Uh, once again, 49ers Goldmine run Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday shows weekly. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, make sure you like, subscribe, check out all the Niners Nation podcasts. Here we go. It's an offseason that feels like it's going to take forever, but the Niners are in the building. They're going to start practicing together, doing some stuff, getting ready to go, and football season's getting a little closer. The tickets went on sale last week. It's getting... Pretty exciting now. We'll see what the we'll see what this season holds, but I'm starting to feel uh, pretty optimistic about things, especially about my dinner uh, bet with Leo. But uh, <laughs> we will see you next time on the Niners Nation podcast. Take it easy, go Niners.